Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew with Jason and Kevin, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. in a can. It was before Red Bull came out. It was like the first one ever in the 90s was the Hanson's huh. Energy. Hansen's I remember like little the, green the cans. Jolt Cola. Yeah, yeah, Jolt. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jolt. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, shock. Twice the sugar. All the I do remember Shock. Yeah. I think that was that was mainly to gamers they were selling that yeah. too. Yeah. How about Water Joe? Do you remember that? Yes. Caffeinated water. Yes. That wasn't around long. No, that didn't last terribly long. <laughs> I, did shop. you ever have it? I don't think I ever I, did. Yeah, the Seven Eleven by my parents' house used to carry it, and uh, yeah, we we used to walk down there. You know, when we were playing video games all night, uh, you know, take a walk down there, load up on caffeine, and then come back home and play video games for the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> so it did work. It it definitely worked, but usually we would go for the Jolt as opposed to the Water Joe. But yeah. okay, okay. Well, Water Joe, if you're if you're still around and if you uh, and if you're looking for a show to sponsor, you know, hey, a nice place to brew is is a is a perfect uh, perfect show to jump <laughs> onto. So send us an email and we'll talk. <laughs> Anyways, welcome to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason. I'm Kevin, and we'd like to welcome Metal Monkey Brewing, Dan and Jason, to the show. Guys, great to have you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Metal Monkey's two-year anniversary is the... The 27th, of the, uh, January 27th. January 27th at Metal Monkey Brewing in Romeoville, yep. Illinois. Going on all day? Uh, all day, yeah. We're starting at noon and going until 11 p.m. That's awesome. That's and congrats, awesome. guys, by the way. Um, Thank you. Definitely one of our favorite watering holes in the area. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. So, does it feel like it's been two years? It, yes and no. Like in some ways, it feels like it's been ten years. In other ways, it feels like it's been six months. I don't know how if you feel the same way. Yeah, it's weird. You know, you feel like it's been forever, but not super long at the same time. It's kind of kind of strange. So going back in time, you guys actually made an appearance on the show on episode six. You can see in the uh, in the directory, and that and at that time, this was about six months before. Your uh, your grand opening back mm -hmm. in uh, back in 2016, so yeah, obviously a lot has changed since uh, uh, since that last episode. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we've uh, come a long way as a company. I think as individuals, uh, it's it's a crazy roller coaster. We're and we're getting ready for some more change and more new craziness. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'd like to start and just kind of go right uh, right to the beginning, Be being that kind of our, our core focus on the show is uh, is home brewing. I know Dan, you've uh, you started home brewing a very long time ago, and I'd like to ask both of you guys what was the first batch of beer that you guys made in a homebrew setting, and what was kind of the initial appeal to both of you uh, to start making your own beer? Do you want to start? Yeah, uh, I got you know a gift from I think it was Midwest supplies and uh you know it came with a kit for an, an amber ale and you know gave it a shot and it was a horrific brew day that took like 15 <laughs> hours because i had, a, <laughs> had an electric stove and the heat were, the heating element wouldn't stay on and oh no so you know was, i did two kits on the electric stove and then transitioned quickly to the garage so that i could uh save you know half the time <laughs> well did you get kicked out of the house like i did too I did after I uh, <laughs> the second batch boiled over a little bit and cleaning sticky wort off of a ceramic uh, oven top is very tricky. Yep. 
Same here. My wife hated so you were that too. were relegated to the garage after yep. that. <laughs> yes. After that, the wife said, I think you should do this out in the garage. And I said, okie dokie. <laughs> what was the first beer you made? So the first one was an amber ale. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a that kit that came with it, uh, with like the package, you know, with got the carboys and the buckets and all that. And ironically, then the second one that I that was much better that boiled over mm-hmm. is what has now become Furious George at the brewery. So the second beer I ever made is one that we just brewed on Thursday. Actually, really? that's brewery. amazing. So your second beer was a keeper. Gotcha. Yeah. And how, cool. how much has the recipe changed? Quite a bit. Okay. Uh, you know, took took some tweaking. You know, the like I said, it was initially a kit, and then I you know started branching out from there and swapping out different specialty malts to find the right one that kind of gave it a nice balance. And a uh, couple years and a couple of reiterations. It was always an Amarillo Pale Ale from the beginning, but the the grain bill has changed. You know, quite a few times to where it is right now. Wow. So that's why people always ask when they come to the brew, they're like, what's your favorite beer? And when we have it on tap, I always tell them that one. They're like, how come? I was like, well, it was the second beer I ever made, and now you're <laughs> paying me for it. So yeah, right? it's kind of <laughs> kind of strange. That's a great story. That is. What about you, Dan? Um, for me, I uh, I guess the appeal of home brewing, it, I didn't even know it was a thing that you could do. Uh, when I first started drinking, when I turned 21, uh, yeah, I was a latecomer to drinking i didn't really start drinking seriously until i actually was of age okay (laughs) so i had to make up for lost time of course um but uh you know i was uh, watching tv when i got laid off from my job i I worked for u.s robotics the modem manufacturer and um i got laid off from that job uh, right after i turned 21 and i was watching uh the cooking or the food network and there was an episode of good eats where elton brown made beer i and love I, that episode yeah. yep he made the and, extract batch i saw and that. honestly yeah. like i never made the beer that he made but it like gave me the idea so I, I think the next day i went out and bought uh the complete joy of home brewing and uh i read it from cover to cover and spent about six months like formulating ideas for how i'm gonna make this beer and it didn't end up being till probably a year later that i made my first beer um i was living in lyle at the time i had gotten another job and uh you know i I bought everything that i could to do all grain brewing right off the bat Uh, i came up with a recipe for an ipa that i i can't find the the old recipe for it anymore and i'm sure it's god awful (laughs) Um, but you know um it was easter sunday that um there was a golf course next to our house in lyle and uh, my parents came by with my brothers and we had brunch over at the golf course and then my brother mike and i went over to the house and brewed for the next seemed like 16 hours (laughs) because everything took for freaking ever (laughs) wow right so your first brew day was almost a year in the making yeah yeah wow and uh, and I think just because once I got to the the part about uh, all grain brewing, I was like, well, that seems like the way to go for me. And uh, uh, two brothers had the their homebrew shop, the Brewers Coop, at their original location. Uh, they, they still kind of sell some homebrewing stuff, but not quite to the extent that they used to. So I went in there to buy all my supplies, and uh, I was talking to, I think it was Jason, uh, one of the two brothers, and... Uh, <clears throat> was asking him, okay, I want to do this. Should I do that? I want to do this. I, should I do that? Uh, and the guy's like, oh, you've never done this before? You seem like you know what you're doing. And I was like, <laughs> well, I've been reading about it for a long-ass time. So hopefully That's, we're on the right track. It's a good way to get into it, too, for sure. It's good to – I think a lot of people just kind of jump in and say, oh, I got oh, a kit, whatever. Sure. I got some directions. Yeah, Let's make right. some beer. But 
probably the best way to go about it to read for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think I got, when I got the kit, you know, it came with the book, and at that point I read the book, and I was like, I'm still not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Right, yeah. Like, I wrote out a bunch of steps and directions, watched a bunch of YouTube videos, and finally I was like, all right, I think I might know what I'm supposed to be doing, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I don't think YouTube was a thing when I got started. Yeah. It was like 2002, 2001. Oh, yeah, I think YouTube was like 05, I think right. when it started, started really coming around. Yeah, so it was all just kind of winging it, and... I think my original IPA that I made, it had, like, half the grain was Victory Malt, oh. which, just looking back, is a <laughs> terrible, terrible idea. Not not quite a base malt. No, not at all. <laughs> I think it's funny how many people you talk to that say that that uh, Charlie Papazian book, though, was such a big influence, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I've still got it. I've got the... I, the what was his follow-up? The Homebrewer's Companion? Yeah, I think so. The yeah, blue-covered book? Yep. Yeah. I, I, I've still got a shelf full of all my old books that I used to read all the time. and um, that, that one's a classic, though. If it wasn't oh, for, for him sure. and John Palmer, I yeah. think uh, a lot of people uh, wouldn't be where we're at today, that's for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, <coughs> uh, so fast forward into... Um, from the first batch into more of the uh, latest ones, what have you guys made recently that you're particularly proud of? Um, well, like Jason said, we just made Furious George, our uh, Amarillo Pale Ale, or more importantly, his Amarillo Pale Ale. Uh, we did a big batch of that. That was a six barrel, which, well, for us, it's a big batch. Um, what else have we done recently? Uh, so we got coming up in the pipeline for the anniversary, bringing back some of our, you know, core classic beers, as you want to call it. Uh, Simeon Fever will be back. Tony's Car. Nice. Uh, Love Tony's George, Car. Furious yeah. George. Uh, up and Adam, which has become a favorite, which I started as a small batch for us. We, you know, we busted out the homebrew equipment, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and let's make a coffee brown. And <laughs> So we made the coffee brown. We carbonated it the day we tapped it. We were brewing a three-barrel batch because we tried it as we were as it was fermented. And we're like, "Oh, this is going to be so good." So we're not even going to wait. Right. Th- we're not even going to wait for feedback. <laughs> we're just going to make a big batch of it. Yeah, and that's been a, a hit every time we've had it on. And actually, that uh, was one of the things that I wanted to ask you guys today: is that um, <clears throat> as far as recipe formulation goes, when you are um, owners of a brewery and 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 trying to to do this commercially. Um, how do you guys go about that? Do you do you have a pilot system that you work with at the brewery? Do you is a lot of this just homebrew recipes? But because uh, I would imagine it'd be difficult because I think like some of the 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 feeling of homebrewing is you want to be kind of innovative, you know. But right. you can't change up the recipes too much because people are used to them, right? So it, how do you guys go about tweaking things and trying new things? Yeah, you know, we we do have a a small. F- now it's a we can make a 15 gallon batch you know we were doing we did a couple five five gallon batches some 10 gallon batches at the brewery dan brought his stuff over or i would bring my home brew equipment over in the beginning and we would kind of just mess around and see what we could uh come up with and now we've tweaked the the equipment wise so we have you know we could do 15 you know a 15 gallon batch right off the bat so if we wanted to make something we have a whole keg of it instead of just like a sixth of it because we did we're doing some small batches and the sixels were going really quick, and people want to try it, so we figured we should try to make a little bit more. And sure. So when it comes to like formulating some of the recipes, you know, a lot of them that we've had, it's been I'd say a good mix of ones that him or I made at home, mm-hmm. and then the new ones we've kind of sat down together and like, let's you know, what do you think about this? Like, let's talk. 
just kind of getting an idea for some of them. We just came up with a, a new recipe that we're going to be brewing this coming week using some some new hops for us. We've never used uh, Enigma or Denali, mm. so we're going to make a new uh, New England style IPA with that. Instead of just taking the same grain bill, we decided let's try something, let's try something different. Let's just not keep the, let's not just change the hops. Let's change everything. So we kind of pick each other's brain and go back and forth. And what do you think about this? And just kind of bounce things off the wall. Some some styles, you know, we'll read up on and maybe you know read, go back through like the BJCP guidelines and kind of get a feel for what you know what it's supposed to taste like or you know traditionally. Yeah, and like see what a what good we starting might, point yeah. is. That's a great point. So, so even at a, at a uh, commercial level, and, and you guys make you know make a lot of very unique beers. You guys still use those BJCP guidelines as as kind of uh, roadmaps when you're making a recipe. Yeah, I'd I'd say so. I mean, we want to you know uh, we just recently did a Schwartz beer, and uh, for that one, it was one we've had a number of commercial examples for. It's a, a dark lager, um, and I think when we were going to actually formulate the recipe, we we leaned heavily on the BJCP guidelines without just making a to-the-book uh, beer. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, okay. yeah. it, it kind of gives you a starting point to what you, you know, if you tell people what it kind of beer it is and they go look it up and they're like, well, this tastes nothing like how what I'm reading now. Yeah. So where, where the hell did you guys get this idea from? So, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it gives you a good, uh, a good starting point, a good reference, and, you know, you can, like, go through some old books and, you know, kind of pick the beers that you've had that might be that style, like commercially from other places, and go, okay, what do you like or dislike about this one? Like, not trying to clone anybody else's beer, but you know, if you know you've had a a black lager, like Dan and I both really like, um, is it is it Crankshaft from no, Metropolitan? Uh, 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 Magnetron, Magnetron, that's their their Schwarz beer. So we we're like, well, that's a really good beer. Like, okay, you know, let's that's a good taste that's a good you know what you're looking for so that's kind of a jumping off point yeah kind of kind of take that and reference back to some guidelines and to some styles and see what it you know what you can do with it nice nice and then there there are some other times that we have an idea for a beer where um you know we're we know what we want the end taste to be like and we kind of reverse engineer like uh you know, some of our, like, I think the uh, Up and Adam's a good example of that. We wanted a, you know, coffee brown ale, uh, and then just kind of were like, okay, what flavors do we like that we could pick out and not necessarily brew to style uh, for a brown ale, but, you know, it'll have all, hit all the points that we're trying to find and then taste-wise. Some are just pure, I think, some pure dumb luck to a certain point, like, we were trying to make a beer for a band, and the only thing they told us that they wanted was the beer to be flavorish. And we were like, what the <laughs> hell does that mean? <laughs> Something dark and flavorous. And, like, we couldn't come up with an idea. When I was grocery shopping one day, and I walked by the little Debbie oatmeal cream pies, and I was like, we should make a beer that tastes like that and add some fruit into it and give it more flavor. So we made a small batch of what now is flavorish. It's a oatmeal cream pie inspired beer with blueberries in it and you know we had marshmallow fluff to it and we made a small batch of that which was also a good thing because we added so much fluff in the small batch we realized oh my god this is way too sweet so if we are going to make this we now have a good reference and scale wise to go okay we got to cut this down and add a little bit more of this so i'm sure those dudes were certified bjcp judges with, yeah with, absolutely with descriptors like flavor issue yeah, absolutely yeah that's that's one of the, the number one things they teach us there so going back to the grand opening in uh, uh, 2016, uh, there was a lot, needless to say, a lot 
leading up to that, including uh, government requirements, mm-hmm. construction. Can you uh, can you go into a little detail about kind of that that six months prior to the grand opening? It was hell. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think is the the conclusion basically that everyone will tell you but uh it, it was uh you know we we we, ha- we were starting out on a really small budget uh by most brewery standards i would say even a lot of small breweries uh i've talked to some people who've opened breweries since us and they were telling me what their budget was like and i was like oh man if we had half that <laughs> we would have been golden um but you know it, uh we did as much construction ourselves uh as we could without that didn't require a contractor and uh any of the contractors we hired we tried to find people on the cheap which when you find people on the cheap you kind of have to work around their schedule which can be a nightmare when you've got deadlines and you want to be open by a certain time um regulation wise it it went pretty smoothly honestly like uh it, it took a long time for our federal uh approval to come in that was i think 129 days and then um as far as the the state and village the the state required that we had the village licensing which required that we had all of the construction done and um uh then we were able to get our uh food license or our health department permit as well which that one was not too bad just because we're not serving any food it's just Beer draft there, there is a certain amount more red tape when mm. when there's food being sold at a absolutely brewery, right yeah. yeah 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 and that's just one of those things we've never wanted to get into because sure. it's we know how to make beer i mean i i can cook but i i've never done it professionally right now being that at the time you both had full-time careers and lives outside of brewing and and working what was what do you remember that balance being like you know trying to just kind of meet that that end goal but just having so much you know in front of you uh well for me right around the time we uh we signed the lease on the building i got laid off from the company i was working for oh that's right. so the yeah. timing kind of worked out all right for me because i was there constantly um i mean it was still a nightmare and uh you know there i was there more often than not i think yeah it was uh it was a tricky balance you know i worked nights and had two little kids so i have two little kids at home and yeah you know you, you go okay i got like three or four hours this afternoon or okay on saturday i got the whole day and like you just you would try to get everybody coordinated as much as you can you know because dan was there by himself but there's only so many things you can do by yourself, of you know, course, I mean, you yeah. a, lot, a lot of the stuff required two, three people, you know, sure. Dan couldn't put a walking cooler together by himself. So, you know, it's, <laughs> did you do that coolers? Uh, we did. Just, um, it, it was the two of us. And then, uh, Brian Mazaka from the JBG. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Brian, they had, had some experience. Uh, doing it, so. Okay. So, you know, you, you tried to balance it the best you can. And then it seemed like the, you know, the laundry list of to do never got shorter. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> And it was funny when we were when the end was in sight and we were starting to brew. I was actually kind of getting myself into the groove of being in construction mode. I was terrified to open. I was like, "Oh my god, we're going to be open in like <laughs> two weeks. Like the whole world's going to be trying our beer, and I don't know if I'm ready for if there's negative feedback. Like I don't know how I'll handle that." I could imagine. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean. For the most part, though, I mean, were you guys kind of pleasantly surprised as far as uh, the word of mouth and, and uh, or was it kind of a slow buildup of, of customers as you guys? Now, well, we we were in full like 
I don't know, delusion that we were going to be successful from the beginning and had promoted ourselves out to the world as though we, you know, everything was going to be amazing right out of the gate. So we had a pretty good following by the time we opened. And when we had, I, we expected conservatively, maybe like six, 700 people would show up to the grand opening. There was over 1100 that wow. ended up coming. Yeah, so we were a little that. blown away by that. Um, you know, when, when it was uh, opening day, we opened at noon and there was people standing outside at 1030 in the morning. We were like, holy shit, what are we in for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that first weekend we went through like, 18 or 20 some kegs of beer like we made a we made a pyramid in the back of empty beer kegs because it was like holy shit and it was like oh man hopefully we got more coming quickly than you blow beer. Of, that's yeah. a that's a question i've always i've always wondered because I, I remember being there on on the opening day and just seeing it was just wall-to-wall people from start to finish how much beer was left and was there ever ever a point where you were like holy crap we could run out of beer today I, I thought we might have run out of beer that day. Um, How close did you get? What, what did you say? We went through 20-something we kegs. 20-something kegs, and well, we had six beers on taps. We went through almost half that weekend. Wow. wow. Yeah, oh. and we, we had planned ahead for that for a lot of stuff to be going gone through the first couple days, um, and we actually uh, had every fermenter filled uh with the same six beers we had on tap at the time uh, before we even opened. So we, we had brewed and then re-brewed everything just in anticipation that, okay, there's a real possibility that we'll run out of beer. Right. And people will be coming back looking for those same right, beers anyway. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, no, that's, that makes sense. And as far as that goes, uh, just you know, to talk about styles and what people like and, and that sort of thing, what would you guys say probably is your, your top seller? If either style or, or a certain specific beer? Or? Um, I... I think there's three, and it's it's really weird. Uh, IPAs definitely dominate. Um, everyone wants hoppy beers all the time. Even when we had like four hoppy beers on, I remember some customers saying, "What? That's all you have for IPAs?" <laughs> um, <laughs> stouts are usually pretty popular. Um, you know, our, our Funky Mucker, the chocolate peanut butter stout, is one that I get phone calls from people that somehow find my cell phone number and ask me when it's going to be back on tap every time we run out. And then uh, it seems like. Uh, Lately, um, the uh, kettle sour beers that we do are really popular, um, and it's it. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to the order. You know, it'll be the middle of August, and our Imperial Stout will be the best selling beer for the that week. Uh, this past weekend, our Passion Fruit Sour was the top selling beer of the weekend. Do you do you find that the people who come in to the brewery um, seem to have more background in in craft beer than uh, say the general public as far as like knowing what they want and and asking questions or do you still get a, a good amount of people who come in and say oh hey do you guys have a light lager on tap what is I don't understand all this fancy stuff what's this I just want something that's uh, fizzy and, and yellow or, do you, or is, is most most people that come seek you out are they mostly craft people to begin with it's a pretty good mix of both, you know I mean I, I worked just in a tap room for a few hours and there was at least half a dozen people who had never been in there still and some people were like is our first time in here what you know what do we like you know what do you got and i'm like i don't, I don't what do you like you know what i mean like you tell me what <laughs> you tell me what you like but then yeah, you get you get the flip side too where you get people who are either regulars or into the craft beer there's another lady in there she was from the uh up in the northwest suburbs but she was down this way and she was hitting all the different spots she was basically brewery jumping and she knew which one she wanted to go to and which beer she wanted and she kind of had a, a road map for her day 
Mm-hmm. So you, you get a you get a good mix of both. It's 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 kind of fun because it's not just hardcore craft beer people. It's the people that you can also introduce to other things. Like they say, hey, I like this, but I don't know. And you say, well, try this and try this, and then you kind of you see the pleasant surprise on their face, and they're like, oh yeah, I do like that. <laughs> Very cool. So going back to year one. What are, what are the challenges and milestones that you, that really stand out? You know, between the opening and the first anniversary, which is now a year ago. Um, I think uh, just production was probably the biggest one uh, for me, anyway. I, I'm sure you've got completely different challenges because uh, most of the time he was still working another job the first year that we were open. Um, so yeah, for me, keeping up with everything. Um, it, we had such a great reception from the get-go and just trying to keep those taps filled with beer was like it was a challenge it, it's still somewhat a challenge uh just to keep uh keep thing things in regular rotation or you know bring things back that people were like hey i really love that beer when's that coming back on but uh you know that's the challenge now back then it was more are we gonna have enough beer um i think that was the biggest one for me yeah you know production and planning you know, it's you. You realize now we're we're pretty good with making sure things are moved when they need to be moved, and what's coming up next. And you know, it's like okay, let's take inventory. What was the big seller? What's almost gone? What do we need to rebrew? Whereas I think the first six to nine months were it was kind of you know because everybody was still working their jobs outside of Dan, and it was like you know we yeah. were brewing days we were brewing. He was also working the f- tap room in the front, and you know, and I've been up for. 17 hours so it's like there are days where you're like i know that beer needs to get kegged it's in the bright tank but i'm so tired i'll just do it tomorrow and you so we've gotten better with that now that we are 100 percent there doing that as our jobs right, and we have other right. people helping us work the tap room it makes it a little bit easier to go okay i i got the back of the house someone else is up front taking care of the customer yeah, so yeah you know yeah it's just planning things out and making sure that you have a nice variety and the core, like you said, the core beers and keeping new ones too, because we don't ever want to go stale either and just keep the same. You know, you only make six beers, and you know, not that that's any places that do that is anything wrong with it, but we like new things. You yeah, know, we like to try new stuff, like yeah. to be experimental still to a certain point. Do you remember that first year, just like how many hours a week you were? keeping in the brewery not really no. not not okay. well all of them all of them yeah <laughs> it, i i the one thing i remember the most and uh, uh my wife brandy and i were talking about this the other day is i i like to cook at home i, I don't remember cooking a meal at home for that whole year wow because i was just and even a lot of this year or this past year um you know it was just so much going on with the brewery i just when I got home, I was exhausted. I just wanted to lay down and do nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I used to work nights, and I used to work from home. So in that first, you know, six, eight months we were open, I would work usually from the brewery and get the kettles situated and get the grain weighed out when I was taking a lunch break or start the water or start heating things up. And it was like, you know, I'd get to the brewery at 1030 at night and leave the following afternoon at 230 or 3, oh, go home and wow. sleep for a few hours, and then – you know, and it was, and that was the hard part too, was because it'd be like, all right, we need to brew four days this week, and I'm like, right. I can't brew four days in a row. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, not gonna make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? right. So it was yeah. like we had to kind of do it like every other day because I needed one of those days to catch up on some sleep and yeah. be at home. And so yeah, I mean, it was it was tricky. It was it was uh, you know, you, but you do it because you you want it to succeed and yeah, you know, for the love of 
doing something better than working for what, what I was doing. That's right. <laughs> right. That's and, right. And that was what I was going to ask. I think a lot of home brewers have this kind of this 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 picture in their mind of, oh, I could open a, bre- a brewery one of these days. But uh, did you ever question at some point, like, boy, this isn't fun anymore? You know, now it's a job, That's and a great uh, question. I'm I'm busting my butt out here trying to get this beer brewed. Um, but has it always been fun? I don't know where are you, where are you at with that. Um, I think the 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 fun outweighs the not fun part. Sure. Um, I still love going in every day and making beer and presenting it to customers. Um, that that I don't think I'll ever get sick of. Um, it it does get a little tedious sometimes, and I you know a lot of people who are out there that want to open a brewery and say, Oh, I could, I could make good beer. I can open a brewery. There's a lot more involved than just making the beer, making the beers, maybe, you know, half of it and everything else involved with running a business running a brewery, managing, you know, employees, supply taxes, all that is it. It's enough to drive you insane if you're not ready for it. And, uh, you know, if you, if you can make beer and you want to open a brewery, maybe just look into getting a job as a brewer. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with Dan. I mean, there, there, there are bad days, but, you know, a bad day at, at the brewery is still far always any of the best days I ever had at my corporate job. Yeah, working I mean, for I, somebody else. I, I still, yeah. yeah, you know, you're working for yourself. You're still doing what you love. And, you know, a bad day, maybe it's a stuck mash or it's, you know, a 1,200-pound grain bill that you got to scoop out by hand, and it's exhausting. But you know what the end result is coming, and that, you know, makes it worth it. You know, yeah, I mean, is, you know, taking inventory and paying taxes and paying bills and, you know, dealing with salespeople, is that fun? Not, no, but that's kind of the nature of running your own business. Sure. It's not just, you know... It's not all sunshine. Now, on that same <laughs> note, um, you guys are, th- this is your first business venture, correct, correct right. for both of you. And despite being being uh, first-time uh, entrepreneurs, because the, yep. I, mean, I think that's the that's safe thing to say, you guys won business of the year, Romeo Business of the Year yeah. in your first year in business. Yeah, that was uh, kind of a shock. I mean, Romeoville has treated us really well, and we're, trying to return the favor um but yeah when we got a call from the mayor's office saying they wanted to name us as business of the year we were all kind of you know dumbfounded by it we're like really us like you know we've we're barely here you know we're barely on anyone's radar in town because there's a lot of really big businesses in town yeah um but you know i think a lot of it's because of our you know kind of community focus uh where we want to get the locals in there we contribute to local charities we hold fundraisers for you know different local events we get involved with uh you know village activities um as much as we can be a part of the community uh, um it's big for us because you know we live there and we we want the community to thrive as much as we want ourselves to thrive that's awesome yeah you know you hear from other people who have started businesses whatever they may be and they're always tell you know that first year is critical that first year is critical if you can get through it yeah you can probably sustain it and you know we got through it and we got through it and then the village named those business of the year and we're at the state of the village and the mayor's talking about all these other companies and you're like there's like hundreds of employees at these companies and there are some of these companies are massive and big name companies were like holy shit like <laughs> that's pretty crazy yeah yeah having to give a speech in front of all those people is a little oh unnerving. i didn't know about this there oh was yeah a speech involved yeah i i i was the lucky one that got to give a speech <laughs> and i i'm not a great public speaker so i, I was sure i was all um uh, 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 stammering through the whole thing but uh yeah it, it, you could probably find it on youtube 
Please don't look it up, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll post a link after the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> so, Jason, you and I were talking in, in the past week, and um, we were talking about the production difference between year one and year two and just how big of a volume increase you guys saw during that time. Do you remember offhand what those numbers were? Just, I mean, how much you brewed that first year into the second year? Um, I, ironically, we were looking the other day, and th- we brewed about the same, actually. It seemed like we oh. brewed more, and I think because in year two, we brewed a lot more uh, double batches for us, like a six-barrel batch. So okay. it seemed like a lot more, and we also got into bigger beers, and, you know, I think, like, grain-wise, and, you know, like, we might not have made as many batches but in the year two, but we made bigger batches, and, you know, we did have... A lot of beers that we tucked away in barrels and you know and are aging too so it's uh yeah it was been about the same i i don't remember was it like uh, yeah i don't remember the numbers it was uh yeah three, 340 or 350 that range, might be about right 340 yeah. 350 barrels barrels yeah but when you then when you think about it and you, you know you you can put things into perspective when you see the guys at brickstone on monday they brewed Five turns in a row, twenty-four for twenty-four hours, and they've made two hundred and fifty barrels of beer Jeez. in a twenty-four hour period. And it took us, you know, a whole yeah, that's year. That's almost to make our year's production in wow. you know, one you day. Could, <laughs> you could take probably our first two years of production and put it into one of Lagunitas tanks in their, at their Chicago facility. Like it's when you put things in perspective, it's it's kind of mind-boggling sometimes. <laughs> I don't know how places make that much beer. Yeah. You know, and I know we're upgrading everything, which is going to be it's going to be fun and it's going to be cool and it's going to be nice to have bigger batches and more of some of our popular beers that can be on tap a little bit longer than they are right now, which is great and get those beers out to more people too at different bars and restaurants. So, yeah. That'll be a fun. And yeah, talking about that expansion a little bit. Um where where is that at right now and um what can people kind of look for? Yeah, so um we're we're upgrading right now we do a uh, three barrels at a time or if we're feeling anxious and whatever we could do six barrels uh by doubling up um batches and uh we're moving up to a 10 barrel brew house which uh, will be really nice a uh, lot more automation than what we've got right now a lot less uh hopefully backbreaking <laughs> labor because right now we have to shovel everything all the grain out by hands the oh, new wow. system will have you know the augers and plows and and of course, my phone starting to ring. <laughs> I wanted to throw this out with with both you guys here. I'd love to hear the best brew day story you guys have had over the last year, and also the worst, <laughs> either together or or, or separate. <laughs> if you guys are comfortable talking about that. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I most of the most well, brew days are always fun. Dan and I act like two year olds half the time when we brew. You know, I mean, we're we're, we're goofing <laughs> around, we're making stupid jokes and. We get a lot of looks from Brandy when she's sitting at the bar, like, what, 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 what's wrong, <laughs> what is with, wrong you? with you? What's too? wrong with you, too? Or, <laughs> you know, there's so many just random things that him and I are on the same page with, and she looks at us and just kind of in disbelief. And Yeah, I think the brew days have gotten progressively better as far as not having a really horrible brew day, uh, just because, you know, we kind of know the process really well now. We, you know, when we're when we're setting up the kettles or the plate chiller and things like that, we just kind of both know exactly where things need to go so we don't even really need to talk during that process. yeah i mean a brew day now we, we you know we can we'll be brewing the beer we'll clean other fermenters we'll keg a batch and we'll transfer another beer into the bright tank like it's not just like in the beginning it was just you know standing by the kettles and the mash mm-hmm. tons and like making sure everything was right and perfect and now you're in a flow where you can you know you can 
you kind of just got used to it and you, you know the routine and yeah, it's you're good kind of on autopilot yeah okay uh in in that regard i think our last brew day was one of the best it was a small grain bill it was our our fantasy bowling league our, our dry hops kolsch um we brewed this this past friday and uh it was like three and a half bags of grain went into the three barrel batch uh we got started i think we were done before three o'clock that yeah. day which it, it was everything went smoothly everything was perfect i mean honestly <laughs> but let me ask you um and i know that it's like freezing out right now but how mm-hmm. much in the middle of summer did the air conditioning installation help you guys <laughs> a lot because i could imagine it, it would yeah. standing it, it, over hot kettles uh some days in there would be a little rough it was unbearable at yeah. some points like there were some days where it was over 110 degrees in the brewery and we'd have to you know go in the cooler to cool off or go outside where it was only 95 out <laughs> wow <laughs> yes. so Jeez. yeah getting that installed was was a lifesaver and it, business-wise too it was a lifesaver because you know we, we last year if you look at the numbers the um number of people coming into the tap room significantly dropped between june and august uh this year it was just as good as it was before or after the summer so it was yeah those those brew great. days and there were days where unfortunately we would do a double batch so you got two burners going and it's you know 98 degrees outside and it's like 118 in the brewery and there's just literally no you, you go outside because you're hot and it's just as hot outside Ugh. so you go in the cooler and then you get out of the cooler and it feels like it's even hotter now so it's like you just yeah. kind of sit there yeah. and there were days where we had a you know a list of things we got to do and we we're like yep nope i'm not gonna sit, i'm gonna <laughs> sit right here until i have to stand up and go over there and turn something on or off like, and, and the point where the AC uh, AC went into the building that mm-hmm. was just after the first anniversary. Was uh, it, it was uh, it was July actually. Yeah. It was uh, the the first week or two of July, I believe, of this past year. This past yeah. year, that's yeah. what I thought. Okay, so you guys you guys went almost a year and a half. Yep. Yeah. Without without an air conditioner. Wow. Yeah, it was a little. Yeah, I wouldn't advise rough. that. Yeah, yeah, don't do that if you don't have to. <laughs> was that something that you foresaw, like in oh, the lead yeah. up to the opening? When we first opened, uh, and even when we had the first architectural plans drawn up for the space, we had an air conditioning system in mind we just ran out of money for it okay, okay. and uh you know luckily the village was cool with all that because you know we had submitted plans to them they had approved them and so when we had our final inspections for everything they said well you didn't get this installed but if you do it within this certain amount of time we won't make you resubmit plans we'll just you know have to sign off that your contractors are licensed or whatever so that was great we didn't have to go through any more planning or any of that nonsense that's good yeah some of you know the humidity was always bad and now it's nice that that can get knocked down but you know some of the other i mean worst slash best brew days you know i mean brewing osmodius is always difficult i mean a three barrel batch beer for osmodius has 1200 pounds of grain in it 12 or six barrel batch batch, i'm sorry yeah but still that's a it's a lot of grain i mean the last time for our small system the last time we we filled it up we got the big you know old dairy tank as our mash ton and there was so much grain and so much water in there we had to get the pallet jack and a log to prop up the one side because the floor was sloped and the edge of the mash ton was to the top but we had another inch on the other side so we had to like level it out so we had to pick it up so you know you're stirring all that in it and there's four of us it was dan myself uh, you know dan's wife brandy and her dad there was four of us there doing it and it's like you you know it's like a pallet of grain and it's like oh my (laughs) goodness and it's like you know putting it in is 
tricky and stirring it in. Then when it all drains and it's all the water's out, then we gotta scoop twelve hundred pounds out by hand into oh, bins. With by hand? Yeah, with shovels, basically like oversized snow oh. shovels and you know, so you gotta go down, scoop it up, pick it up, dump it into the bin and you know, you do that for an hour and it's it's tiring. But then, you know, and before we had that, we would do it on a three-barrel batch and a smaller mash ton, and we were and we were filling up garbage cans. One time we brewed overnight, which I think it's. It I was, think this is the worst brew day. This was the it was probably one of the worst brew days. Like it was overnight brewing because I was still working and I couldn't take any more time off of work. But we needed to make this beer, so we did it. We came in on like a Monday night because we were closed Tuesday, Wednesday. So I start work. We started brewing at the same time, like five o'clock on Monday. We brewed overnight into Tuesday morning. Both went home, slept, brewed again Tuesday night into Wednesday morning just to get six barrels of this beer made. But you know, three a.m. We're getting ready to mash out. You know, Dan's tired. I'm tired. We're, I'm just trying to work. Yeah. Still the other job on the computer, and so we're pulling the grain out of the mash tun into garbage cans that we're going to take outside and dump. And because the grain was so hot, it split the garbage can. So now it's 3 a.m. and you got (laughs) sticky, wet, dark grain and liquid just everywhere. everywhere. And you guys are running out of fumes. And yeah, and you're exhausted. And at this point, you're like, shit. It did inspire a beer. Yeah, it did inspire. It did inspire our chocolate raspberry style because at one point I looked at it, I go, holy shit, looks like a chocolate war zone in here. (laughs) (laughs) And we we were. had our wits about us enough to write that down and say, okay, we're using that as a beer name at some point. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was just everywhere. It was one of those, you're like, oh, and there's, it's not like you can just go, I'm going home. Like, right. Right. somebody else's right. problem. Like, it is our problem. And we're still trying to brew at the same time. Mm-hmm. So now you're yeah. shoveling the shit off the floor and it's like, it's a mess. And it's like, yeah, scooping it into, you know, dust pans, yeah. trying you know, to get it up off so the So it's like 600 pounds of grain and, you know, you put it in a cheap plastic garbage can you can only put you know oh yeah 30 40 you yeah. know and it's like take one out dump it fill another one take it It was like just that back and forth i mean it was they were like 14 15 hour long brew days because oh yeah it was and at that point we were we were doing a uh, a beer with the second runnings from that mash as well so we would uh we would make the three barrel batch and then we would get do the second runnings uh from the same uh, batch of grain to make a single barrel of our black ipa yeah. Um, okay. So when we did a six-barrel batch of uh, the Osmodius beer, we would get two barrels of black IPA out of it, which was great, but it added another six hours yeah. to the brew day. <laughs> but it was one of those, it's, you know, it's a second run. It's more or less, you know, you add hops to it and some yeast. It's like a yeah, free beer. Yeah, it was like beer. a free beer. So right. it's like right. yeah. we kind of had sure. to, and we did it for a couple times. And then, you know, I think it was the year later we were doing it again, and Brandy was like, so are we going to make the, the second runnings again? We're like, nope. It's <laughs> like, why? We're like, no, not nope, happening. just can't do just it. Can't. We, we don't have it. We don't have the energy to do that again. <laughs> you know, so some of those are, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. It kind of, it gives a good story. It's it's a great story. <laughs> Absolutely. And so getting back into that expansion, as far as uh, the new equipment, um, what is that going to be able to uh, enable you guys to do for for customers as far as like uh, not only making your brew day easier, but what can mm-hmm. you know what what kind of things can we look at for to to, to see in? in I, th- I think the biggest thing is regular packaging. Uh, we want to really get into cans, bottles on a regular basis. Uh, I think our plan is once we get the new system installed and working, we're going to start canning right away. Uh, we're going to be using one of the mobile canning services in the area and just try to get more out there and and that's i guess the big thing that we were trying to do basically is get out there more um you know get our beer on tap at different places get uh 
cans and bottles in stores on a regular basis, um, just all of the above. And, and that's been probably one of the bigger challenges for the second year being in business is getting out, uh, trying to meet the demand. Uh, cause you know, we've got very limited, uh, supply and manpower really. So there's a lot of people out there that we get calls from that want our beer, but we might not be able to get out to them to bring them a sample or to drop off a keg or whatever it might be. So, you know, and then we can only do so much before we run out of beer. So, so you guys right now are currently your own distributors. Yes. All self distribution. I mean, we take turns, Dan, Dan and Brandy do the bulk of the delivering, but you know, we, you know, for example, when Benny's carried uh, the bourbon barrel age Osmodius, we had to get that beer to 35 stores. And because we're self-distribution, it's like they said, are you going to be able to do that? We're like, we'll, we'll figure it out. So, you know, three of us, her, Brandy's dad, and a couple of people who were behind that bar, Mel and Tommy, everyone kind of, we divided it up. Everyone took like a couple stores and loaded up their car. And that morning we all kind of spread out across Chicagoland wow. and got the beer to Benny's. Now, if, if I can ask a question about that, if you guys are comfortable talking about this, is uh, there's a certain... Br- um, brewing output threshold that governs when you can self-distribute and when you have to bring in a distributor. Do I have that correct? Yeah, it's uh, it's based on barrels. I mean, I, I believe you... Barrels produced, right? Uh, well, no, there's a, I mean, there's a regulation with how many barrels you can produce, I believe, by the state standard. But as far as distribution, I, if I'm not mistaken, you are allowed to distribute up to 6,000 barrels self-distribution before... So after six thousand, you then have to go through a distributor. Six. Okay. Okay. I wasn't. Sure I believe that that's the was. number because I know I was talking to the guys at Pipeworks, and he said that they'll always self-distribute the maximum amount that they can before they have to go through a distributor. He goes because they like they were totally built on self-distribution, that. so yeah. he goes, "I want to yeah. keep that portion of it going." Yeah. So they still do their own self-distro for a lot of their stuff too. Yeah. I mean, and it makes all the sense in the world to do it. Yeah, yeah, especially on our scale when we we probably can't even meet any distributors' demands that they would need, and we we would rather hire somebody else, you know, uh, bring somebody else on to do sales and things like that if if it comes to it, uh, rather than giving the money to a distributor at this point. Sure. So you can probably rest assured that in in 2018, if you buy uh, cans of Metal Monkey beer, they were in somebody's van at some point. Yeah. You know, it was oh, made yeah. right in Romeoville. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, individually brought to the store, uh, which I think is is pretty cool. You know, never spend any time on a semi or anything like that. Right, you know? right exactly. It'll all be as fresh <coughs> as we can get it to the uh, right to the stores, and supporting a great local business too. Absolutely, yeah. So going into year three, what are the things that you that you think about just kind of beyond this expansion that you're that you're working on? What's what excites you and, and what concerns you, if if anything? Um, I I guess the the most exciting thing for me is is the expansion itself. Um, you know, we there's I guess there's other stuff beyond that because you know, like we said, getting all the cans and bottles and things out there, that's going to be amazing. But um, you know, a couple of the things that we're starting to do or starting to look into doing is some collaborations with some bands, which I I really want to get some of that done. You know, we're obviously music focused uh, as well as beer focused, and so to make some beer for some of our favorite bands would be kind of amazing. And there's two of them out there right now that have expressed interest that's super cool so like if so if the band approaches you how 
What is that uh, something that would be served at their concerts or something that they just come in and help promote? Or how, how does that sort of thing work when a brewery and a band kind of get together? I know that's something like Three Floyds has done in the past and other breweries. And right. Stuff. Um, I don't think we quite know yet. <laughs> gotcha. You know, we uh, Jason had mentioned the flavorish beer before that uh, we're, we're still trying playing around with some other ideas for this beer. So that one, um, you know, that we actually approached the band about it. We uh, went and hung out with them uh, on their tour bus last time they came through Chicago and had a great time and said, hey, would, what would you think about making a uh, beer with us? And they were all for the idea. So uh, I, them being from Sweden would be kind of difficult, I think, to have it at, available at all the places that they're uh, touring <laughs> oh, right, at. Right. But, you know, I, it would at least be a cool, like, way to promote the band and promote the brewery at the same time uh get the name out there to people who might not know each other uh we could you know definitely sell the beer in whatever capacity we can and we definitely encourage them to try to get it available at any place that they're playing at that we can reasonably ship to and, cool. I, th- and I think that'll be a little bit easier to accomplish once we get the newer system because <clears throat> you could make you know a 20 barrel batch of this beer with the band as opposed to okay we got six barrels you know what i mean just the sheer volume and package amount that mm-hmm. if you wanted it to get to multiple places and kind of get a farther reach for you know publicity and availability it's going to be a little bit easier come the new system installation which will be nice definitely nice so what makes a beer metal <laughs> blood Added, uh, skulls are there skulls in, involved uh, might be some skulls yeah we, we, we randle every beer through some bones you know yeah. Yeah, there, you go. there you go <laughs> I think I think it's mostly in the name and the attitude <laughs> but, but I mean every beer we make it, it kind of has its own personality and you know if we want to make a beer that's like super metal when it comes out it might not be and we have to give it some of their name <laughs> <laughs> there you go some of it some of it works itself out like when we did the second runnings with osmodius and we came up with atramentus the black ipa after doing the calculations it was ironically 66 ibus so we like okay we'll, we'll make it 66.6 ibus you know so it's <laughs> right 66. there you go <laughs> and it was and it did turn out to be 6.6 percent alcohol but we're like well let's make it 6.66 ABV. Like, <laughs> you know what i mean because there were a lot of people who asked me like is it really 66 point i was like yeah, I, no, it's 66, but I put a point six on it because it's three sixes now. <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. So, you know, and then some some of the stuff comes out great, and, you know, you have ideas for, for beer. I think that label makes it metal, too. Yeah. Yeah, that label, label, definitely. And that's uh, a local artist, uh, Poli Garza. He's a great guy. He cu- he's been coming into the brewery since we opened, and he's done a couple of label uh, designs for or, uh, label art for a couple of our beers, and yeah, that came out awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're looking at the Osmodius label here, and so uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's kind of a. Well, is, is this the devil, or is this a demon? Is, <laughs> is a he demon. on the payroll of the devil? Yeah, it's what? a demon monkey. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but very cool, very cool bottle design. Can we kind of look at kind of that as more uh, what we're going to see in stores uh, coming up here in the in the new year? Um, kind of more of a, we're all over the board, yeah. honestly, with some of our label designs. We've got uh, a couple other. Uh, designs that are coming up for some newer beers uh, and they're you know one of them's a little more cartoony looking one of them's kind of a more serious looking picture and one of them's just kind of a well it's our funky mucker or chocolate mm-hmm. peanut butter stout it's just kind of a really I don't know 60s looking yeah. funky 
kind of label. It's uh, so yeah, we we like to have fun. Not not everything is super serious like death metal, like yeah. our death by metal label, which was a, another really cool label. Yeah. That, that was a very cool label. I remember that one too. <laughs> nice. What was the date on the uh, on the uh, two uh, two year anniversary again? Uh, that's January twenty seventh at noon. Starting at noon. Starting at noon. And we've got some bands playing. Uh, Maiden Chicago, the Iron Maiden tribute, will be headlining. Uh, we've got uh, um, a local band, uh, Professor Emeritus, playing. They're uh, like a doomy metal type band. And uh, we're looking at a third band. Uh, one of them just dropped out on us that was supposed to be playing. Uh, and so we're hopefully going to get somebody else in there soon. And I just remember that's going to be part of the expansion as well, is you're going to have enough space with the new with Yeah, the new that'll space be in house uh, bands, right? Yeah, we, uh, at the beginning of October, we moved into another unit in our building unit number 800 uh, so we we've got a hole in the wall that leads into that space so up at the front of that space we're going to have a, uh, a 12 by 20 foot stage uh, lighting PA system the whole nine yards wow very cool that's awesome and we're also yeah we're also doing two bottle releases that day at noon to also celebrate the anniversary we'll have the uh, red wine barrel aged monkey fuel that was aged in a California red wine barrel for 18 months. Okay. And then we have the bourbon barrel aged thick stout for Harambe. So it's a, it's a milk stout, big 11% milk stout. So nice. And uh, is that a blend of different bourbons or is that, was that all uh, aged in one particular brand? Actually it was, uh, it was uh, journeyman barrels and uh, Buffalo trace barrels. Mm. Both delicious. Definitely. For yeah. sure. For sure. You got some uh, social media links you want to throw out? Uh, yeah, check us out on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Metal Monkey Brewing. Uh, we're on Instagram at Metal Monkey Brew, and I think the same on Twitter. Nice. I believe. And my, um, I use my Instagram for just, like, brewery-related stuff. It's Monkey See Monkey Brew. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, Metal Monkey Brewing. Again, the uh, two-year anniversary is January 27th. Uh, in uh, in Romeoville, Illinois, uh, Kevin and I, I'm sure, will be out uh, during that day, and yeah, uh, come check it out. It's <laughs> going to be a great time. Okay, um, we uh, introduced a new segment on the last show uh, called uh, uh, Brewing Trivia, and I've got a second question here that I will I will pose to everybody. So this month's trivia comes uh, comes from Men's XP Magazine, and the title of this category is the most expensive beers in the world, and they got a list of ten. And uh, two of those uh, uh, are brewed here in the U.S. So we got we got two of the top ten, and I'll and I'll uh, give a description on both of these. One of them is Utopia, which is made by Sam Adams. I assume that was going to be one. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. The strongest commercial beer of the world when it was launched in 2002. It has an ABV of 27 percent, made with caramel, Vienna, Moravian, and Bavarian smoked malts, and matured in Scotch, port, and cognac barrels. It is a crazy beer. If you guys haven't yeah. tasted it, it's something else. It's I a, saw the package and it was amazing. I mean, it's. I love the bottle. Yeah, yeah, very cool. It is a strong, strong beer. Yeah, almost doesn't. Yeah, the only like the, a beer. Yeah. The only yeah. time I had it was at uh, Fobab last year. They had a, a cherry version of it, I believe it was, and yeah, that was insane. <laughs> like even the half an ounce sample that I got. I was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, they do have some price information on it, too, being it's a list of the most expensive beers out there. And uh, they they have Utopia listed as $150 for a 700 milliliter bottle. Yeah, that's probably on the cheap end, too. Uh, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I think a lot of stores out there mark it up quite a bit for three, $150. Bucks, yeah, I think yeah. 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 A lot the three. cheapest I ever almost bought it for was 250 and that was... 
10 years ago. Wow. But I do think, you know, at least with a beer like that, though, it is recapable. And, it, I mean, it drinks like a, like a liquor, you know, as far as, um, I mean, you could take a little pour out, cap it back up. You could keep it for years at a time mm-hmm. versus some of these, like, one-offs where, yeah. you know, you crack yeah. it open and share it with friends and you got to drink it right there. Yeah. Here's the other one that was on the list that was uh, made here in the U.S. And I find this amazingly ironic because it's made by Pabst Blue Ribbon. Really? Yes. Blue Ribbon 1844. And here's the description that they have. Fancy an ale made in China. Hmm. Already, it's like, wow. Okay. We kid you not. Although Pabst is an American company, the Chinese Pabst upgraded the U.S. Blue Ribbon to Blue Ribbon 1844 with German caramel malts matured in uncharred American whiskey barrels. Hmm. And a heck of a beautiful bottle. You can look this up online. The bottle is very impressive. Priced at $44 for a 720-milliliter bottle. This is 44 times more expensive than Pabst beers here in the U.S. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're not going to get that uh, in the bleachers at Wrigley Field? No, I don't, don't think so. <laughs> wow. That, 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 uh, the uh, value of that would add up quick, S- selling $44 beers in uh, Wrigley Field. Wow. I'll be darned. So we're looking at a yep. picture of it now. Wow, yeah, that's that the is- one. That is, a, that is a nice looking bottle. That's a sexy sure bottle is. of PBR right there. Sure it is. <laughs> okay, so here's uh here's the question. The most expensive beer in the world is made where? I would guess uh Scotland. I think I would I'm guessing one of the Brewdog beers. Yeah, I would say Brew Dog. They're cuz they had done that what, what was it called the end of the world beer. or something yeah. like that? So put, they well, they that won't was, they put it in a squirrel or something. Yeah. We, they did show up on the list twice. Yeah. Brew Dog had, had yeah, two I, of the most Yeah, I expensive remember ones. the picture of the taxidermy squirrel yes, with the, the bottle the sticking out of his yep. mouth. Was is that the one that do we That's no. not it. So wow. where so where I'm going to guess um I'm going to throw out Sweden I'm for a, no reason. I'm throw it. India. Okay, all all good guesses. Here's the answer: Antarctica. Oh, yeah. The most expensive beer in the world is called Antarctic Nail Ale by Nail Brewing Company out of Australia, with an ABV of only ten percent. The catch here is that the beer has been brewed with water melted from an Antarctic iceberg, <laughs> dug by the Sea Shepherd <laughs> Conservation Society. Oh man! So when the award-winning brewery released this. Get ready. $800, 500 milliliter bottle. All profits went to the welfare organization. Damn. Oh, so it was for charity, but it was mainly because of the sourcing of the water. Yes. Right. Yes. I was going to say, so they're making, the yeah, when I heard ale in Antarctica, I'm like, it's got to be a lager. No, it's an ale. Yeah. yeah. Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. With only 30 bottles released, that's all they got out of this. The prices were auctioned off after the release, and the prices went up to as high as $1,800 for a 500 milliliter bottle. Whales, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I have three in my cellar right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So if you're lucky enough to, if, if any of these 30 bottles still exist, which I'm yeah. kind of curious about, I'm, I'm wondering what it, uh, what it takes to get a hold of I them. I mean, if you'd like an on-air critique. Uh, there you I, go. You know, definitely get a hold of uh, <laughs> Jason and I, and we, we'd be happy to to uh, take care of that for you. And so. Kevin, of course, is a certified beer judge, so none more qualified. You know, I'll tell to, you if uh, they're worth the money. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. We wrap this up the same way each time. As we raise a glass, it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. 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 Cheers.